John's going to bring the word to us today. And let me read you a little bit about John. If you don't know John, John is a part of our worship team. He also is taking a lead on directing a lot of our men's ministry stuff now. Appreciate John getting to know him he and Rebecca. But John was raised in southern Oklahoma City, not northern, but southern Oklahoma City there, John, right? With amazing parents, Dale. Dale here on the front row. Dale, good to have you today. And get this, John is the oldest of 11 children. Woo! Come on now, 11 kids. He better, he, he knows, he's got some wisdom after 11. Man. He also served in the U.S. Navy. Any Navy people? We got any Navy people? Oh, come on now. All right, got a couple Navy people here. Uh, served in the U.S. Navy board a submarine the USS Norfolk, as a nuclear operator and technician, that sounds like a very smart job, John, where his passion for ministry also began to develop there. John moved to Enid in 2012. He's worked for Coke Fertilizer in a variety of roles alongside extraordinary people ever since. John is married to the love of his life up here on the front row, the beautiful Miss Rebecca, for eight years. Awesome Together, they have six children and four grandkids. John and Rebecca and their kiddos have been attending here at World Harvest Church since August of 2021, where they are blessed and honored to grow, flourish, and serve with an incredible gathering of people that love Jesus and love people. John wrote that himself. That's what he thinks about y'all. So we are honored here today to have John ministering the Word of God. John and I, we've spent a lot of time together. Uh, been having a lot of lunches, and he was sharing some stuff with me the other day, and I said, you know what, you need to share that at church Sunday. So one more time, would you give a big old World Harvest welcome to Brother John Renault today. John, take it away. Well, good morning, friends. Can we start with prayer, is that okay? And not as a formality, because it's the right thing to do, but because I'm desperate for his grace. I'm entirely dependent. John the Baptist said it right. He said, a man can receive nothing except he be given it from heaven. And friends, I don't have the power to change anything. Neither do you. If I just speak out of my own town or what I want to say, it's maybe a motivational speech and we feel good for a minute, but without the power and the blood of Jesus, we're wasting our time. And I want to steward your time well. So I just want to pray. Father, I don't know how it is that we could ask of you of anything, but you said for us to come before your throne of grace that we might obtain help in our time of need. Father, I thank you that your mercy is strong in this room. Father, I thank you that the part of you that delights in your sons and daughters is strong in this house and in our hearts. Jesus, our glorious friend, you are the greatest preacher of all time. Would you preach and I must decrease? Holy Spirit, you are comforter and you are peace. We need you now. And Father, I don't know if it's appropriate for me to ask, but if it's possible, if we could have ministering angels in the room to do only what you can do. Only what you can do. Amen. Amen. Friends, one thing I got to say about Brad and Tammy is um, <clears throat> we have incredible pastors. I'm not saying that just to flatter because it's a cool thing to say, but 
What comes to mind is I remember there's a story where the prophet Samuel goes to Bethlehem because the Lord has given him a mandate. God said, I got a man there after my own heart. And Samuel prophesies over this boy, David, there's a king inside of you. And I've wondered if Samuel is disobedient and doesn't show up that day, does David ever know? Or what about Mordecai? Mordecai speaks to his cousin, this little girl, teenager named Esther, and says, there's a queen inside of you and you were born for such a time as this. If Mordecai doesn't have the courage to prophesy to her, does does Esther ever know who she is? Friends, I wonder if we don't have people in our lives that can prophetically speak the word of Jesus to us, what a tragedy if we die with the music still inside. John Greenleaf Whittier said one time, of all the sad words of tongue and pen, the saddest are these, what might have been. You have pastors that call out to the dormant Davids and the dormant Esthers saying, come alive, dry bones. You are more than what has been spoken over you. You are more than your insecurities. There's a king inside of you. There's a queen inside of you. And it's time for you to take your place in the kingdom of heaven. That's our pastors. My dad's also here. He's sitting in the front row right here. I've convinced our kids that he's a real Santa Claus. <laughs> he's a champion of a man. He's a giant. In 1977, he had an encounter with Jesus. And he began to lay down his life and began to discover this Jesus. And again, in 1986, in June of 86, there was a a revival within the heart of my dad. And he was a multi-million dollar businessman, and he just decided to lay it all down. And he he kept what we needed to provide for us, but he's a giant of a man. Pursuing this treasure, there's that song in Christ alone where it says, I seek no greater honor than just to know him more. That's my dad. And I remember he would always carve out a space. Every house we were in, he would carve out a space, a tent of meeting for him and his God. One of the first places was this duplex we had in Norman. Yes, cowboy fans, the Holy Spirit's in Norman. (laughs) Sooner fans, take heart. We've been six and six before. We'll, we'll, We'll be okay. We're at this duplex in Norman, and the only place we had room was the garage. He'd put carpet down, and he set a desk. And in the wintertime, it was a space heater, and in the summertime, a fan. Oftentimes bitterly cold, oftentimes incredibly hot. But the posture of my dad was, I'd rather be uncomfortable than miss my time with you. And it had quite the impression on me. What he was modeling was he had a relationship it was romantic, but it didn't quite click with me until my 20s. And as busy as my dad was, he always would carve out time for us. In particular, he took time to show me the word. Parents, this is more of a confession, not a preachy thing, but parents, we've got to be careful that we don't sacrifice the gifts and the callings of our children on the altar of busyness. He was sitting me on his lap. I remember one of the very first lessons was Matthew 5, 6, and 7 as he was teaching me about the character of our father. A father that we had once divorced. A father that the enemy had convinced us was not good, that had lied to us, and that he was mean. Do you know that father is kind? 
His kindness draws us to repentance, the scripture says. And, and he, I remember one lesson, he sat me down and, and he said, look here what Jesus said. He, and, and my dad had this, this brown leather Bible and he still has it. And from cover to cover, it's, it's marked with notes and it's got highlights of all different colors. And he would circle different words as he, was, as he, he would excavate their meaning. And I thought that it was so cool. And I'm like, man, I gotta do the same thing. But he showed me, he said, son, look at this. Jesus said, if your son asks you for a fish, do you give him a venomous snake? Or, or if, if he asks for a piece of bread, do you give him a stone? So, so parents, Jesus is saying, so, so parents, moms and dads, if, if even you being carnal, carnal, mortal, fallen people wouldn't do that to your own kids, how much more your own father? Jesus was saying to us, I am not who you think I am and neither are you. My dad, um, one of his first devotionals was, my, up, my utmost for his highest by Oswald Chambers. Anybody remember that one? Champion book. And I have it here because I would often get in dad's library like I would get in his tools. I wouldn't ask permission and sometimes it was 50-50 whether he was getting it back. He didn't get it back, okay? I got it. Here. But a quote that I remember from the book, I mean, I, I came across it again recently. It's true of my dad and may it be true of us. If you will give God your right to yourself, he will make a holy experiment out of you. And his experiments always succeed. It's a story I want to share with you this morning. It's a familiar story, but maybe I share it from a different perspective. Imagine a courtroom. Some of us have been in a courtroom before whether it was a criminal thing or maybe it was a marital thing, you've, maybe you've seen it on TV, you've seen the courtroom. This particular courtroom is set in the middle of the most beautiful garden you've ever seen. And at the judge's seat is pre-incarnate Christ. Well, that's kind of weird. I thought he didn't show up until Mary. Well, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, John says. And that word became human the living expression of God became human and lived among us. And he says that no one's seen the Father at any time. No one's seen the Father, and the Holy Spirit is spirit. But in this passage in Genesis 3, they talk about how they could hear God physically walking in the garden. This, this is Jesus. Judge. On one side, you have the defendants, Adam and Eve. Though Eve does not yet have her name, she's known as Isha, which means woman. Adam and Isha are here, they're the defendants, and they're broken, they're hurting, they're wounded, having for the first time felt the bitter cold of winter, having for the first time felt pain, having for the first time feel that horrifying fear like falling backwards in a chair, as they feel the clutches of hell and darkness and evil begin to overtake them. They're broken, they're hurting, they're angry, they're confused. They even tried to put on fig leaves. My friends, there are only but two religions there is either the one of trust where I know my father or there's fig leaves where I try to put it all on myself. I try to fix it myself. I try to manage my sin myself. And it's an illusion. The defendants, broken, scared. On the other side, you have the prosecutor. You have the accuser of the brethren and of the sisters. We know Satan as a Sadistic hedonist, but did you know that Satan's also a legalist? Some of you that have broken the shackles of religion know this. 
And this legalist is calling God to account. You saw me. You saw me as I fell like lightning to the earth. So I can no longer get to you. So the next best thing I can do is mess with your kids. And they broke the law and now they're mine. They're mine. And I not only render a sentence of guilty, but I render the death penalty and I sentence them to the lake of fire you built for me. And furthermore, you made it such that everything produces after its own kind. So now they've been infected with the cancer of sin and death and they can only produce more of the same. They are mine. This is the prosecution. So the judge asked Adam, Ish, what happened? And Adam does this. The woman that you gave me made me do this. I blame her and I blame you. I accuse her and I accuse you. And in that moment, Isha, she's already dealing with her own sin. She's already dealing with a terrible decision. She's already dealing with the shame and the guilt and condemnation of her own brokenness. But then to have the person, the love of her life, then to have the person she's supposed to be the safest with curse her. Imagine the shame. Imagine in this moment she is so alone. He's abandoned her. And because of the consequence of sin, the wages of sin is death. She feels the separation from her source. She's utterly alone and she's broken. One thing I got to say on a side note, parents and husbands and wives, we got to be careful about what we say. Proverbs 18.31 says that death and life is in the power of the tongue. That's not just a pretty scripture that we memorize and put on the on the refrigerator. This is life that you and I are made in the image and likeness of God. So that part of God that can speak galaxies into existence exists in you and I in our spiritual DNA. And he doesn't know it right here, but he aligns himself. He colludes with Lucifer and he curses her and she internalizes she believes it well maybe this is all my fault and sisters there has been oppression on you for millennia ever since this moment a lie straight from hell saying that you are no good that you are inferior that you are to take the blame that somehow you're a problem and I want to tell you that it's a lie and that Jesus was and is committed to shattering the paradigms of that sexist curse She came out of Adam's side. She didn't come from his feet that she's beneath him. She didn't come from his head that she's above him. She came from his side because they are co-equals to walk out the dominion calling on this earth. Under his arm that he might protect her and next to his heart that he might love her. Is it any wonder that our groom, the lover of our soul, Jesus that as the church, as his bride was born, he was pierced in his side and we saw blood and water flow out of his heart for us. It's a lie, sisters. There's a lioness in you that desires to war and Jesus says, amen. Rise up and be you. Now, I've got to be careful. It is, this is not about on one side about some kind of uber conservative, wear bonnets and handmaid's tale, okay? It's also not over here. It's not about some man-hating, feminazi agenda, okay? Somewhere in the middle is Jesus, and he's calling out 
to you saying, step forward into what I've always called you to be. You're a champion. You're a winner. And this guy, this accuser, he is envious of you. He hates you. He is jealous of you because of the beauty and the majesty and the power that you carry. And then the judge asked the woman, what have you done? And she said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Did she tell the truth? Yes. He got defensive, judgmental, victim. She tells the truth. Then the Lord says this, something astounding. He says, the Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, speaking now to the prosecution, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than any animal of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust shall eat all the days of your life. Now imagine Isha, Eve is still here, shuddering, cold, alone, abandoned, rejected. Perhaps some of you are here this morning. You know exactly what that is. To bear the crushing weight of your own sin and your own choices and to feel helpless, to feel alone, to feel broken, to feel like nothing. And or to hear the accusing voice of people that were supposed to love you and they left you broken. She's there. But then suddenly this Jesus, this judge, prophesies over her in the middle of her ashes. He says, I will put enmity open hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head and you, speaking to the serpent, you shall bruise his heel. This is the first revelation of the great mystery of the gospel. He's telling the woman, hey, we're gonna fix this. He didn't skip a beat. Didn't judge her, didn't get mad at her, didn't condemn her. We're going to fix this. And in fact, I'm inviting you to partner with me in it. Always this Jesus with an invitation. Will you partner with me in it? And together, we're going to crush him. Not before he bruises your seed, speaking of the torture and murder of Jesus. But we're going to crush this. It's not going to be easy. Are you in? Our friends, one thing we need to know about this Jesus, about this Father, is that the love of God for you and I is greater than anything we could ever do wrong. Greater. I know that might sound a little wild, but his grace is scandalous. His grace is a scandal, and he loves you He's wild about you. He's smitten with you. John writes, behold, what manner of love is this that we should be called the sons and daughters of God, but sons and daughters we are. And John spends the rest of his book trying to excavate that meaning, and he simply but profoundly comes up with this. God is love. And that love, it, doesn't just, it isn't just that he loves us, but he so loves us. I love this story of Jesus. One time Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a man that found a treasure in the field. And have, after having found the treasure, he sold everything he had just so he could get the treasure. And I read that for a long time, and I thought that that was about me, that I'm the man, and the treasure is about heaven and about whatever I'm called to be, and i got to do all this stuff, do this, this, and this, this, and hopefully I sell out, hopefully I do good enough to get the treasure. 
Yes, there's something to be said for sailing out. There's something to be said for taking up our cross and denying self. But if it's all about what I could do, I don't need Jesus anyway. I am powerless without him. So I find that the more I discover about this grace and this extravagant, wild, reckless love of Jesus, now I find that Jesus is the man in the story. And the treasure is you. The treasure is you and me. And he sold everything because you matter that much. He doesn't quit on Eve for a moment. You're my girl. We're going to fix this together. I'm not ashamed of you. You bring joy to the heart of your father. Do you know that? When he thinks of you, he smiles. He's in love with you. You are the treasure. And he sold everything. I think about the time that he takes off his robe and he wraps himself in the towel of a slave and he begins to wash our feet, even the feet of Judas. Kind of like the time that he takes off his robe as master and commander of the universe and he wraps himself in Mary's womb. Best we could do was wrap him in milk rags and put him in a feeding trough. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. But he thought it not robbery. Because that shame that Eve carries, that shame that some of us carry, Hebrews says that he despises the shame. And for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Because you matter that much. And he lays there with a smile on his face through blood-stained teeth. And he says, it is finished. What is finished? What he's telling her. What he's telling you. I love Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. One translation says they're out there without repentance. Amplified goes on to elaborate. It says, for he does not withdraw what he has given, nor does he change his mind about those to whom he gives his grace or to whom he sends his call. This is talking about a two-way transaction. A couple weeks ago, pastor talked about that each of us have been given a talent. Some one, some two, some five. And yes, there will be an accounting of what you do with this talent. But on the other side of it, Jesus is saying, I will not withdraw what I've called you to do. And my word will not return void. There's a calling on your life. Do you know what it is? Who are you and why are you here? It's imperative that you know he's speaking that to her. He's speaking dominion to her again, even though she had just given it up. What is he speaking to you? He is still speaking no matter what you screwed up or who has sinned against you. I got to stop pointing. That's a little bit aggressive. (laughs) So one thought I have for you and I is what did God dream of when he first conceived the idea of you? It's important that you know. You must know. You must know this word about you because that word will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. It will carry you through no matter what you go through, even when we've made a wreck of things. I'm trying to imagine at some point, courtroom session's over, everyone leaves, and it's just them two. She's got a little spark for prophetic word in her heart, but not much else. And he's over here angry, but he heard what God said to her. And I believe that at some point, Adam humbled himself, repented not just to his God, but to her. And one clue we have of that is it says in Genesis 3.20 that 
the man named his wife Eve. Eve means life giver. Eve means life spring. He's saying, my love, I heard what our God said to you, and I recognize and I believe that without that word and the promise that you carry, I am a dead man. Because she was mother of all the living. One thing I want to say to you, sisters, is that genetics has proven that there's something in the mitochondria of you that they can trace back to a single source. They call it mitochondria Eve. She still lives in you. There's a promise that you carry. There's a power that you wield. And there's a reason why Satan has tried to shut that down and shut you up. One thing we're going to see, though, in this coming age of the church is women and men stepping into what God has called you to be. And to be strong and confident. The predominant emotional state of the kingdom of heaven is joy and confidence. I love this next verse. It says, and Adam knew his wife. And she conceived and bore Cain. And said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. And now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Eve, again, all she has to go on is this word through her offspring, which obviously Adam had to realize he had to get in alignment and agreement with that or there's no babies. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> she gives birth to Cain, meaning I've gotten a man from the Lord. She believes that Cain's the Messiah. I think we need to give ourselves some grace. You're doing the best you can with what you've heard and what you know, that there's a grace is sufficient for you. The grace is in this season, and she doesn't know. She believes that Cain is the Messiah, but she doesn't know that he's actually a murderer. You need to give yourself some grace. that You've been walking out what God told you to do, and things didn't go well. Things didn't go quite like you dreamed in your head, but it's okay. Your, your posture before the Lord is, whatever you would have me do, my answer is yes. Some of you might remember from Sunday school, what happens next is tragedy. Cain began to, grow great, began to grow jealous of Abel. Jealousy and envy being the mother of murder. And it began to well up in his heart. So one day, in verse 8, it says that Cain talked with his brother about what God had said. And when they were alone and working in the field, Cain attacked Abel, his brother, and killed him. It was a violent attack. We know this because later God said that the blood of your brother Abel calls up to me from the ground. This was a violent, vicious, ugly attack. And I want to talk to some people today that all you have done is say yes to the Lord, but there have been violent, vicious attacks in your life. But the word of the Lord remains. What happened to you hasn't been okay. What happened to you, you've been mocked simply for saying yes to God. You've had tragedy where you had to bury people too soon. You understand the pain of Eve. You've done nothing wrong but say yes. You've done nothing but walk. But then Abel is murdered and Cain is good as dead because he's now a fugitive. I wonder, how did she find him? Imagine, imagine. How did she know? Was she cooking dinner and expecting her boys to come home and they never did? Did Adam go find him and bring him home? Did she find him in the field? Either way, what I do know is at some point, Eve had to hold the bloody 
lifeless mess of a dead dream. Perhaps you have too. They'd never seen a dead body before. Imagine the shock. This is, this is, the, this is your boy. This is, I know from having my own kids, it's like having your heart walk around outside your body. And Imagine, she's already had to deal with what she'd been through. She had to deal with her own screw-up, and she had to deal with verbal, emotional, and spiritual abuse. Now I guarantee that accuser is back again saying, if you hadn't screwed up to begin with, Abel would still be alive. This is your fault. Always this enemy trying to remind us of our past. And she's there. But I want to encourage you, my friends, with this next thought, that to live the blessed life, we must be careful to not form our faith around our circumstances. It can be easy to form a theology around something that didn't happen. If she's, this is why I'm talking about it. It's so imperative to know what has God spoken over your life. Otherwise, we are tossed and turned by the waves and wind of circumstances. She could have easily have said, well, it must just be God's will that Abel's dead. It must just be God's will that Cain committed murder. God forbid. Parents, moms and dads, you would never, you would never cast cancer on one of your babies. So why do we assign God such evil? God, that father that my dad talked to me about, he's good. He's really good. And sometimes we live in this fallen world where we're attacked. For no other reason than you just love Jesus. Jesus said one time in explaining the parable of the sower and the seed, he said, persecutions arise for the word's sake. Some of you carry this wound. Kind of like there's one time where Jesus tells the disciples, he tells us, let us go get in a boat and go to the other side of the lake. I say us because the Apostle James says that when we read the word, it's like looking into a mirror. When I open up the Bible, I read about me. When you open up the Bible, you read about you. He says to us, he gives you a specific word. Let's go to the other side. He never promised us it would be easy, but he promised us we'd never be alone. Jesus is in the boat, it tells us. He's in the boat with you. But it says that a violent storm arose. This storm was of evil origin. How do I know? Because Jesus rebuked it. God didn't send it. God didn't send the storm you're going through. God didn't wound you just so he could teach you something. I remember years ago, I went through a season where I tore up my arm and baseball's over and I tore up my knee and I was in the season of depression and my dad's like, son, are you mad at God? Because it's a lie. It's the enemy's game to to first try to wound us and then come back around the backside of that with the shame and guilt of this is God's fault. It's a lie. So they're in the boat. The storm arises. And they cry out. We cry out. We're about to die. We're about to drown. Don't you care? And the thing I love about this Jesus is that it's not the pressure of his ministry that wakes them up. It's not even the storm that wakes them up. It's not the pressure of politics or religion or the people that want to kill him that wakes them up. What wakes them up is the cry of his babies. And he hears you too. There's a side of Jesus that knows how to mourn with you. But also encourage you to say, my love, we can't stay here. There was a point... Eve, they'd never seen a dead human before. There's, she and her husband are talking. What, what, 
do we do? And I don't know exactly what happened, but something that Adam probably had to figure out. Well, I remember God telling me that I came from the ground, and I think maybe that's where we got to return him. My friends, we got to bury the past. To say it another way, one thought is that we need to live this blessed life. We must reconcile the past and keep it reconciled. Perhaps this is why Jesus said that he, he, we asked him how many times do we have to forgive this situation? Seven times? No, 70 times seven. It's a euphemism for infinity. He's saying you can stop forgiving when I stop forgiving you. My friend, keep the past reconciled means sometimes there are things so terrible. that Jesus tells them about 70 times seven, and then Peter says, and I love he says it for us, he says, well, then increase our faith because sometimes things have happened to you so terrible that it takes faith, that same faith that would speak worlds into existence. I need that same power to forgive this because it hurts so dang bad. Reconcile the past and keep it reconciled. But I love, I love this next verse. To me, it's one of the most powerful, compelling verses in all the Bible because it speaks of a faith that is gritty. It speaks of a faith that refuses to quit. It speaks of that faith that Paul talks about, that I know one thing I'm going to forget about what is behind and run forward towards this race, running this race with patience. I will write the vision and make it plain so that when I run, I can still read it. This verse is it's Genesis 4.25. It says, in Adam's wife became pregnant again. Eve conceived again. Eve conceived again. Even after she'd made terrible decisions and wrecked her life, even after the abuse, even after losing her boys, she conceives again. And I want to speak to somebody in here this morning that to live the blessed life, you must conceive again. To some of you, this is quite literal. My wife and I know the fertility journey of doctors telling us there is no way you can have babies natural, but God had different ideas in mind. For some of you, you've been through some things that are unfair. Satan either wants to hold you in the shackles of shame or the shackles of the pain that you've been through and say it's all over. But I'm here to tell you that as long as there's breath in your lungs and a beat in your chest, it's not over. Conceive again. Conceive again of a ministry. Conceive again of a calling. Conceive again of a dream. Conceive again of a business. I know that you went bankrupt, but God said it's not over. Conceive again, husband and wife of romance. It's not over. Some of you have been hurt so bad in your heart, torn apart. I'll never love again. Jesus says, conceive again. I've wrecked it so bad with drugs and alcohol. He's out. Conceive again. I'm speaking prophecy over you. We're gonna, we're gonna defeat this thing together and I'm inviting you to partner with me in RUN, yes or no. Conceive again. Conceive again in your spirit. This isn't over. I love it. It goes on to give us more detail. Adam's wife again became pregnant and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For God, she said, has appointed for me another child instead of Abel. For Cain slew him. She calls him Seth, which means for this appointed time, she had made peace within her heart. I can't do anything about my past. The past is what happened. And I'm not yet who I want to be, like Pastor Tammy says, but thank God I'm not who I used to be. Seth is for an appointed time. God didn't forget about me. Seth. God is speaking Seth into you for this appointed time. 
finally, the next verse is really cool. It speaks to us of purpose. It speaks to us, us of reason. It speaks to us of the why, of the vision of, of what we're called to be. It says in verse 26, it says, and then Seth had a son whom he named Enosh and then this. And that is when men and women began praying and worshiping in the name of God. I want to tell you that for Eve, her patient and passionate endurance, after, even after having gone through hell and back and high water, brought about a revival. For the first time, men and women began to call on the name of the Lord. And I want to tell you that God wants to bring about a revival because you dare to obey even when everything else tells you different. You dare to obey even though there's labels on you, there's labels that people have spoken over you, there's labels of insecurity and of religion and of society. But Jesus says, I have one label over you. He prophesies through the Song of Solomon, my banner over you is love. Conceive again. This revival came through. Why does this matter? Why does this matter? Well, my friends, my friends, a, a few thousand years later after this, this same Jesus, I don't know what the meeting looked like, but, but Father and Son and Holy Spirit are talking and Father's like, okay, it's, it's, it's time. And his son's like, yep. And they tell Gabriel, can you, they tell Gabriel, can you, can you go tell her? And Gabriel goes and meets with this little 16-year-old champion girl. He says, hey, Mary, I need you to carry my son. And, and, and yeah, it's not going to be easy. And, and you can imagine being a 16-year-old and, and carrying a child out of wedlock now has its own pressures. But then it was a death penalty. And this champion woman of God says, be it unto me just as you have said. And about 40 weeks later on Christmas Eve, they call it Christmas Eve for a reason. The medieval church our ancient brothers and sisters would gather around on the day before Christmas and they'd put on these passion plays that were often centered around a tree. It was a tree of life. And they'd often put candles in the tree and they'd light the candles to signify the tree of life as this prophetic foreshadowing of what Jesus was gonna do in Christmas. I wanna say on a side note, I'm tired of the enemy trying to rob us of Christmas. He already tried to take enough in the garden. We have Christmas as a promise for a reason. This tree is not pagan, it's ours. Side note, sorry, I just wanna get off that soapbox. Christmas Eve and some shepherds in the field hear some angels singing this weird promise of peace on earth and goodwill toward men and, and some, of, some of Daniel's old students in the Far East see this star and they start a two year journey and then you got this mama they're on a, experiencing birth pangs and she's, she's dilated and she's in pain and, 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 and Joseph who's called to protect her they're looking for an inn I gotta find an inn and there's, there's no room there's no room for the king of kings no room they find a cave and some straw and some animals and I wonder did it ever cross Mary's mind gosh I, I'm carrying your son surely I can do better than a cave surely I can do better and don't you know the heart of the father for her and for us is no baby girl you're doing great you're doing so good. Keep going, girl. I want to tell somebody that your father's proud of you. Your father says, keep going. You're doing so good. I'm not mad at you. I'm not upset with you. You're doing so good. Keep going. And this promise comes forth. Today, today, our liturgical brothers and sisters celebrate the first day of Advent. Advent is a word that simply means arrival. Arrival of promise. 33 years later, he's executed and he spends three days in the belly of the earth. But on that third day, on that third day, he wakes up in the belly of the earth and the scriptures tell us that he strips Satan of the keys of death and hell, crushing him once and for all. And then it says something really cool. It says that he went and preached to the captives in prison. 
It's all the saints, men and women of the Old Testament whose faith was credited to them as righteousness. Don't you know that one of them in there was Eve and that same voice that prophesied to her in the midst of the ashes. She hears that same voice say, hey, baby girl, it's time to go home. Time to go home. The word of the Lord shall not return to you void. You're not crazy. You really didn't hear from God. I know you've been through some things, but the spirit of the Lord says conceive again. Here's why. Here's why. This book ends. This book ends with Jesus prophesying, surely I will return soon. And the book shuts, but the story's not over. You and I are in this story. You have a part to play. You daring to dig in and ask God, who am I? What have you called me to do? Is imperative because he's about to bring a revival, a revolution, a reformation unlike the world has ever seen. The dead church era is almost over. Soon and very soon, a revolution. I want to say three years ago, three years ago, we're almost not that anniversary, three years ago, a river of death flowed out of China. I'm not saying that about any kind of race or people or country or creed because there are amazing people in China. In fact, the underground Chinese church is strong. There's millions and millions of, millions of believers and there are reports of signs and wonders. But I speak of an attempt at an antichrist satanic revival. If the building blocks of kingdom are faith, hope, and love, the building blocks of that pandemic was fear, despair, hatred, and death. And some of us took some hits like Eve. Some of us took some hits in that time. We lost people. We had to go through some things like Gloria's still going through. And girl, you're going you're gonna to make it all the way. You're gonna, we're going to have a full recovery. You are healed in Jesus' name. But our pastors have been transparent about the pain and the journey they've had to walk through for the past year. Like Abel, it's not fair. It's not okay. It was an attack. But I want to tell you that we may have lost some battles, but we will win this war. For while there was a river of death out of China, soon and very soon, my friends, hear me, there was a river of life that will flow out of the heartland of America. And it will be because you dared to believe, even when everything else in your face said, no, I'm sorry, I'm spitting. The river of life. One hallmark of the dead church area is that there was really only one office operating in its full capacity. It was that of pastor. And I'm going to thank you, pastor, for carrying us through a dry wilderness. But soon and very soon, it is time for the teacher to rise again. It is time for the evangelist, Sonny, to rise again. It is time for the prophet and the prophetess to rise again. And one exciting thing I believe we're going to see is the return of the apostle that we have not seen since John took his last breath. Get ready. I know you've been to hell and back. But what God spoke to you holds. Would you stand? Jasmine Underwood, I want to say that you're, you're a champion of God. And that there's a, there's a creativity in you, there's a there's this whimsical side of the Holy Spirit that has always operated in you. There's a creativity, that same part of him that would create galaxies and stars, but also would create cool, weird things like a giraffe. Like, hey, what's this leopard moose camel? Like, there's this whimsical imagination inside of God. And he's always spoken to you. Even when you necessarily didn't know him, he's always, that's always been him. But there's a leader and there's a power that's being developed in you right now. I think the enemy has tried to shame you about who you were in your past, but God says, no, I don't even let him have that. There's a, 
there's a strength in you that I'm going to bring forth to wreak havoc upon the forces of darkness. That he's developing that in you right now. And you don't need to do anything. He's, you don't need to, there's nothing you can do. He's already crazy about you. Nothing you need to do. He's just, the, the language I hear for you is very romantic. It's very, come away with me. Let me romance you. Let me show you the unforced rhythms of grace. And out of that, there will be a power that comes out at an appointed time. TJ Redding, you're a champion man of God. You're a winner. You're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. Beneath, God has called you for more. There's a certain stress that you carry. I don't know what it is, but the Lord says he's lifting that off you right now. He's going to speak peace into your heart. He's going to give you a desire for the word. And you would say, that's weird. That's weird because sometimes I read and I'm frustrated because I forget what I've just read. But I want to encourage you, friend, that I don't remember what I ate three Wednesdays ago, but I do know that it nourished me. The word's going to nourish you. Well, I'm frustrated, John, because I read and I feel embarrassed and shame because I read and, and I fall asleep. Father says, I have never once gotten angry at one of my kids for falling asleep in my arms. He's calling you into romance. Friends, in closing, there's some of you that you might be in a place of I feel wrecked. I have wrecked my life because of my choices or I feel wrecked because of what someone else has sinned against me. Or maybe you're at, all I was doing was following God and then I lost Abel. All I was doing was trying to do my best, be the best Christian I could to be the best son, to be the best daughter, but only for tragedy to strike. And right now I'm hurting. I'm hurting. Father sees that hurt and it's okay. If you're here this morning and you're carrying a pain, maybe even an anger, maybe even a, God, I'm mad at you, that's okay. Any of those things, can I see your hand? That takes a little bit of courage. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. Wow, keep those hands up for a minute. Saints of God, can you see these hands raised? Can you move in closer, please? You may not even need to pray anything or say anything, they just need you to be next to them for blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Can you move in close? We'll sit here in this space for a minute. Jesus, you're Jehovah Rapha. Would you heal and heal through us? You love to bind up the brokenhearted. We need the good Samaritan to pour in the oil and the wine to heal. Jesus, you see these wounds. You see these places where the enemy meant them for evil, but I believe that grace has this way of making it look like we're going the right way the whole time. Thank you for healing. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Maybe it's time to bury Abel. But what I do know is when they did that, Jesus was right next to him. The scripture, my friend, you need to know there's a scripture in Isaiah that says that he has collected every tear in a bottle. He collects your tears as precious seed and you have sown in tears but you will reap in joy. Tears that you shed in 2022 will be a harvest in 2023 and beyond. Sorrow may last for this night but joy comes in the morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Friends, there were some of you that I want to encourage you that 
John, I'm, I don't know if I know this Jesus. I think I know religion. I think I knew him at one time. I felt a calling at one time, but I've been on the run and I'm tired of running. I want to come home. Friend, I'm not asking you to do church. I'm not asking you to do religion. I'm just asking, do you know him? And if not, do you want to? This will take some courage, but don't miss this moment. If that's you and you're ready to get right with Jesus and make him the Lord of your life, courage, courage, be bold. If that's you, you're ready. This is the day everything changes. This is the day of the greatest miracle. You are reborn. That spirit, that breath of life is rebreathed into you. This grace, you're ready to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. Can I see your hand?